Thanks, Jordan. Good job, fellas. Absolutely love being led by dudes that know what they're doing. Seriously. Good stuff, man. It's good, Brandon. Seriously. Love it. Well, I had a great day today. I hope you guys did. Um, I have enjoyed, actually, you know, my, my first victory this morning, because there's been some good moments today, my first victory this mo morning was resisting the urge to eat about three pounds of the potatoes for breakfast. It's like, I love those potatoes, right? I feel like I'm right on the edge, guys, of going completely out of control on the food, okay? But I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm holding back, and just, I've, I've so enjoyed, and again, Eric and I say this, we, we love these environments, and just love seeing packs of you guys all over the place talking and playing and fishing and whatnot, man. It, 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 is, it is genuinely encouraging me to see that. Uh, love what Eric did this morning in introducing us or reintroducing us to the guy in John chapter 8 that was just in so much bondage and just needed to get free, Right? And you couldn't help but be overwhelmed by the guy's situation. Uh, and, like, he really needed help. But I love that Eric said, yeah, but, like, we all really need that same kind of help, right? And I think we were all kind of feeling that in different ways this morning. And some of you, some of you even stood up and said, look, I really need it, okay? Uh, I need to get right with Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, because I remember when I first kind of stood up when somebody challenged me to do that and just thinking, I don't know that much about Jesus, but I know enough to know that I need what he's offering. And I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. And, and I need to start over. I need a clean start. I need my sins forgiven. I just, I, I need a new sense of purpose. I need to have a sense of what's going to happen to me when I die. Right? But here's the thing. Like, you can't do that by yourself. Okay? And so just, just want to remind you, guys that stood up, but really everybody, okay? We said this the first night. We'll say it again here while we're kind of in the middle of things. Like, if you came here with a burden or you came here wanting to grow or you came here with questions or you came here just with something that's going on inside of you that you haven't been able to talk to anybody, maybe you came here with a sin that's been hounding you. This is a great place to get it out and talk to each other. Guys, take the initiative with each other. Ask, ask. Man, can I talk to you about this? Right? Just I want more of this Jesus thing. I don't even know what this means. What's my next step? What would you do? Right? Ask that question. Maybe some of us need to say, hey, I saw you stand up. Tell me about that. Like, what's going on inside of you that made you stand up? Okay? Just encouraging you to keep going there while we're here. Um, okay. So a couple things to, to launch this. Man, one great way to grow in Jesus, and again, people don't read books anymore, I guess. But it's not a bad idea to read a book every once in a while, fellas, okay? I mean, it doesn't need to be something that, that, that blows your gaskets, you know, but it's something that, that really is accessible that will just help us understand. The reason I love reading books is because it's like I'm meeting somebody else, and I'm meeting them in their journey, right? And I can get insights from them. Well, here was a book uh, that just recently came back to my attention. I read this book in 2000. It was not a popular book. Uh, I don't even remember how I ended up coming across it, but I've never forgotten it. It, it marked me in 2000. It's a, a book called Shows About Nothing. The subtitle is Nihilism, and nihilism just means meaninglessness, when, when life becomes meaningless. Nihilism in popular culture from The Exorcist to Seinfeld, okay? A lot of you guys, you guys, would, hate, a lot of you guys would hate this book, okay? I'm not saying you start with this one, but I'm really into thinking about culture, I'm really into thinking about what, what is going on in the world that I and we live in. Okay, I love thinking about that stuff. 
And this guy's argument in the year 2000 was, we are living at a time, he said this 23 years ago, where the shows that we watch and the things that are influencing us from pop culture are basically teaching us that life is meaningless. And a show like Seinfeld that he was picking on, so what was Seinfeld about? Like it literally became a, like the best show across the 90s for being about nothing, right? And, and one of the, so his argument is that we're constantly being encouraged to believe that there's really no purpose to life. It just doesn't matter anymore. And it's interesting, again, I'm not going to do this to you right now, but if you go back to the 60s, if you grew up in the 60s, you still really believe there were causes that were worth dying for. There was, right, there was protest. There was stuff that was worth kind of getting up in arms about. There was still a belief that there might be some truth out there that was worth holding on to. And in the 40 years since then, man, it just got wiped out, right, from, from a bunch of different directions. And he said the other thing that's really interesting is now when you live in a culture where everything is meaningless, uh, if anything, what happens is evil starts to become portrayed as good. And good becomes portrayed as evil. And so you know, you'll find yourself cheering for characters that are actually evil in what they're doing, right? And then you start to side with the dark side, and he says it just leaves people empty. So he wrote that 20 years ago. And it'd be really interesting to do a little study and think about different shows that have been popular, like a show like Survivor. My wife is here. She loves Survivor. Just don't listen to this, Amy. Uh, But, you know, what's Survivor about? Survivor's just about picking people off by lying and deceiving, and the winner is the best liar. Think about it, right? And it's cool. Like, we know why it's kind of cool, but it's just, it's just, again, reinforcing that idea that evil is good, and there's nothing that's really worth living for. It's the end of, you know, like, there's just nothing, there's no purpose. Even Christians end up falling into that. So I got a call two weeks ago from a mentor of mine. In fact, Eric mentioned him yesterday when he was introducing me. His name is Daryl Farney. The man's just got the gift of evangelism. It's like everybody he talks to ends up coming to Christ. He's just one of those kind of guys. And he led my family to the Lord and was a mentor of mine from 35 years ago. Okay? Respect the guy. Amazing man. He called me a couple weeks ago out of the blue. I haven't talked to him in a long time. And, and he kept pursuing me. We couldn't. We weren't able to get a hold of each other, and, and, but he kept calling me. I was like, what's going on? Um, and we finally got on the phone, and he said, he said, Ed, what is going on in the world? Like, the world is getting so dark. And he, you know, he's frustrated again just about all the gender stuff going on and the political craziness and just, again, just everything, right, that we're swimming in. And my mentor was calling me to ask, what are we going to do? What do you think we should do? <laughs> it was a really strange moment, right? But it, but, it, but it got my attention because even the most faithful of us, okay, can get overwhelmed by the cultural moment that we find ourselves living in. Like nobody's immune from that, okay? So it's like super important to do even what, what we ended up saying to each other was. I, I just said back to him what he taught me. I'm like, Pastor Farney, like, God is still in control, no matter what it looks like, okay? Again, you taught me that. And what we can do, like, I can't fix the government. Like, I can't fix all the just zaniness that's going on in, in society. That's, I don't know that that's what I'm supposed to do, but I can get up every day, and I can be a godly man. Amen. 
okay? And in my corner of the world, in my corner of the world, I still believe that God wants to use me. He would have already taken me home. If he's left me here, if he's left you here, he has some reason that he wants you to be salt and light and to make a difference for his kingdom because that still matters. Why does it matter? Because he said he's coming back. Remember we said, you need to know the end of the book. He's coming back. He's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things right again. He's going to judge the world. He's going to judge evil. And it's the blood of Christ and what we've been singing about that's actually still, still going to be around when it's all said and done. I love what Eric said. We may be on the wrong side of what's trendy right now on social media, but we're on the right side of history if we align ourselves with Jesus and we get up every day saying, Lord, how do you want to use me today? Okay? So that's, that's where I'm coming from tonight is I'm, st I'm still holding on to, to that idea. But I need to be encouraged about what that looks like, right? We, we all need to keep being encouraged about what that looks like. So what I want to do tonight is look at one character in Daniel, and you, most of you probably know this story, but just to be reminded from Daniel about what it looks like to be one man or one woman, but we're at a dude conference, so one man who gets up every day and says, God, how do you want to use me here? Okay, what can we learn from Daniel chapter 1 about what that looks like? Okay, so open up in your Bibles if you got them, or look on with somebody, look on a phone to Daniel chapter 1. And here's where we're at. Let me just do this as a little backdrop so this will hopefully make sense what we're stepping into because we're going back to 600 years, 605 years actually before Jesus came, okay? And everything that's going on before Jesus came, in this book, God is revealing himself. He's speaking through this group of people called the Jews. He's made a covenant through, through different Jewish leaders to say, you are my people and I'm gonna save the world through you basically, okay? All of his communications are coming through these Jewish people at this point where we're about to step into the story. And they're looking forward to the idea of a Messiah coming. They are looking forward to God coming back. Everything that I just said, they're looking forward to God coming. And um, really, a bunch of them are looking for a political Messiah to come. But a whole bunch of them are also looking for just somebody that's going to set them free from themselves. Okay. And they're expecting that he's going to come to Jerusalem. Like, that's the, that's the pivotal city. There's a temple in Jerusalem, and God comes and he visits that temple in special ways, they believe. Okay, that's where they do all of their worship. There's different items in that temple that are significant to how they interact with God, okay, and the way God has set things up. And he says all of these things have meaning, and that's kind of how, how they were living with God. They didn't have a relationship with him the way we talk about it today, but their relationship was tied to them keeping certain laws and, and observing certain ordinances that he put in place, and dealing with this temple in a certain kind of way, okay? So, let's look in chapter 1 of Daniel, because something very dramatic is going to happen. It says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, okay, king of Judah, so he's the king of the Jews at this time, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. 
And he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Okay. So, so just get, that sounds bad just on the surface, doesn't it? Like Nebuchadnezzar has come in again. We don't really get this in America because we don't have nations that are coming in here trying to take over, take us over. It's really interesting what's going on over in Israel right now, okay? When you're bordering with other nations and you've got, you've got animosity between different groups, they are regularly trying to take each other over. And so at a certain point in time, Nebuchadnezzar says, it's time. We're going to Jerusalem and we're going to ransack it. And he goes very specifically to the temple. So on one hand, it's terrible that they're getting ransacked. On another, it's just, it's, it's 10 times worse because Nebuchadnezzar is very strategically going to the place that he knows matters the most to him in the temple. And he takes and he orders that different, you know, objects are being taken out of the temple. And he takes them back and puts them in his temple of his gods. He's basically punking the Jewish God. That's what he's doing. Okay? He's saying not only are you guys weak, but your God is too. And you got to just be thinking like people just... Their, their gaskets might, must be blowing, okay? Like, what is this? Why would God let this happen? Like, not only has he not come back and to do what he said he was going to do, but now he's letting the, the, the temple be ransacked, and we're being taken. Bad situation. Look in verse 3. So not only are they being relocated, but we're going to see he's going to do some re-education. It says the king commands Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, one of the guys that works for him, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And to teach them, this is what he wanted them to do, teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. It's the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were going to stand before the king. Okay? So this little stretch right here is just a, a case study. It really is. It's a case study and a strategy for an imperialist takeover. Like, this is what you do. When you go into the country, you ransack the, the, the places that mean the most to them. You undercut their, their belief system, okay? And then you go and you take some of their best. We're going to take a bunch of folks back, but we're going to look and we're going to find their best. And we're basically going to give them a three-year scholarship. And while, they're, while they have this scholarship going on, we're going to teach them astronomy and math and medicine and history and we're going to teach them everything that we can about the Babylonians. Why would he do that? This is a little risky in a big room like this, but you guys have been good about this. Why is that a good strategy? Why would you do that? Say it again. He's going to integrate them into his society. What did somebody over here say? Cultural change. What do you mean by that? He wants them to forget about their God. And he wants them to com get completely absorbed in their gods. But why would he pick this particular group of people? Again, he says, I'm going after the ones that can think. Huh? They're people of influence. Yeah. Yeah, they're the best. So he gets the leaders because he knows if you can influence the leaders to think and eat and, and, and act in a certain way, you can get everybody else that's going to follow him to do the same. And that's really what he wants to do. If we can get him to think like us, 
We'll be able to get him to act like us. And that's what we want. Okay. So you can imagine, again, at this, at this moment, you just got to kind of try to go back there and feel this a little bit. You're a God follower. The temple's been ransacked. We've been snatched up and taken to Babylon. The best among us are being completely re-educated, reprogrammed. What are we going to do? Because God's not doing what he said he was going to do, and he's certainly not doing it the way we thought he was going to do it. So what do we do now? And you can imagine that there's, there's, there's a couple groups. One of the groups is, is just going the way of assimilation, accommodation. They're just going to go ahead and go with the flow. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. If God's not going to show up again, maybe, maybe they start to rethink their whole belief system at this point because it doesn't look like it's actually true. So we're just going to go along with whatever it is that they're serving up to us and just get along, okay? We'll become just like them. There's another group that's at the other extreme that they, they just become completely isolated, they just get into a little uh, spiritual ghetto amongst themselves, and everything about the Babylonian culture is evil, and so they're going to stay completely separate from it, and they just stay in these little holy huddles with each other because they don't want to be contaminated by any of it. You see, what's interesting is that both of those groups, and you can decide which one you think is, is the better one, and maybe, maybe your denomination tends to look like one or the other of these at times, either being very assimilating, very accommodating in the way that you deal with culture, the current culture we live in, or maybe some of us are very isolationist. The problem with living at both of those extremes, though, is that neither one of those groups are available to make any difference or to be used by God to impact the culture that they're being taken into. I mean, if you get completely assimilated and you're just like everybody else, how are you going to how are you going to affect any change? You're just like them. If you won't have anything to do with them, and, and you know, again, you just you stay out of relationship and you stay as far as you can, how can your God ever actually have an impact through you? What we need is somebody that's going to be obediently involved, somebody that is going to maintain a sense of connection to their belief system in God, a faithful clinging to who God said he is, regardless of what the circumstances look like who at the same time will be involved with the cultural moment that he finds himself in. Let's keep going, because now we're going to meet. We're going to meet Daniel and his friends in the midst of this. It says that among these guys that got taken were four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And it says the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. So he renames them. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So they're relocated, re-educated, and now renamed. And that doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, except their names actually are very meaningful in both directions. And I got this written down, and don't even try to write all this, just look this up later. But Daniel's name actually means God is my judge. His name gets changed to Belteshazzar, which means may Bel, the Babylonian god, protect his life. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace, and his name becomes Shadrach, command of Aku, the moon god, the Babylonian moon god. Mishael, who is what God is, gets changed to Meshach, who is what Aku is. 
And finally, Azariah, the Lord helps, gets changed to Abednego, servant of Nabu, or the sun god. Okay? They get their names changed. So again, it's a really smart move, right? You got these guys running around with Jewish names that are actually names that worship their God. Let's change that out. It's the final straw. So the question, before we even look any further, and some of you know where the story goes, but the question is, is Daniel and his friends going to, are they going to be the ones that change Babylon, or is Babylon going to change them? Because the way it's set up, it's, it's not looking very good, Right? We get to verse 8, and it says, but Daniel, again, Eric talked about that this morning, the but God moments. There's a lot of but Daniels and but, but characters who are, who are caught up in a cultural circumstance who are going to make some choices that are going to make all the difference in the world. You need to hear from them today. But Daniel, get this, resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Okay, so let's just stop here. It says Daniel, Daniel resolved. He, he set his mind. He made a commitment. He, he drew a line right here that he wasn't going to eat the king's food. And it's so interesting, even as I look back at this passage, and I've looked at it a lot of times through the years, but it's kind of crazy. It's like, you can take me, like I, there's nothing I can do about that. I'll, you can re-educate me. I would have thought that would have been a, maybe a good place to put a, put a stop, okay? But you can even rename me, really, okay? I'll let you do all that, but I'm not going to eat your food. <laughs> right? Like that doesn't seem so often as that way in Scripture, right? Like that just doesn't even seem to make sense. But why is it that he wouldn't eat the king's food. Well, well one, what, did somebody say it? Yeah, it was offered to idols, right? And so in the same way that we pray, a lot of us pray before our meals and we thank the Lord for, for the food that he's provided, the Babylonians were, were offering up the food to their own gods, okay? And he knows this. What's another reason that he might not have wanted to eat the, the king's food? Okay, those are things that they did to him, but that was his choice. Let's come back to that in a second. That's, I, I like where that's going. What's well, just another, like, psychological and moral reason why he wouldn't want to eat the king's food? Well, go ahead. Somebody that's talking about kosher, what's that mean? Good. It's not clean. So, again, under this old system before Jesus comes, part of, part of what, what God has built into their worship of him is that they would have dietary laws. And so certain foods, he'd say, this is okay. You can eat this food. You stay away from this food. If you touch this food, you're declared unclean for a period of time, right? It's this incredible system that God has set up, which, praise the Lord, we're not under it anymore. Amen. But they had to adhere to it. Okay, those, those who, who wanted to walk with him would try to adhere to that system, okay? So undoubtedly, there's, there's meat and there's stuff on the king's table that's going to defile him, literally what he says. He drew a line, though, fellas. And again, we don't even really need to go much further than this, but to stop and ask, do you got any lines drawn as you sit here tonight? Like, where are your lines drawn? As you live, and we all live in this same kind of cultural moment, and again, we, 
we could write our own story of just trying to survive, right, in whatever field of employment you have or whatever school you're at or whatever. Have you drawn any lines that say you can do this, this, and this with me, but I'm not going to go along with this? Maybe those lines are drawn in places where you're saying they're negative. I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm not going to associate with this or watch this or listen to that. I'm, I'm separating myself from this. Or, or maybe your lines are drawn in such a way that you're saying, this will now be a part of our life because we're Jesus people. This is, this is a way we're going to handle our money because we're Jesus people. This is a way we're going to handle our time in our house because we're Jesus people. You got any lines? It's a, it's a great conversation to have with each other. It's a good one to write down. Where are your lines? And how did they get there? I was thinking back to when, when I first said yes to Jesus back in 1988. I was a college student. I was a freshman at Kent State University back in Ohio. And, I mean, this was a whole new world to me. I guess you guys don't know any of this story now that I think about it. But I came from a really non-Christian background, non-Christian home. And when I got to the campus, I started meeting Jesus dudes who were explaining the gospel to me and talking the way Eric talked to all of us this morning. And I was like, that's what I've been looking for. And I, and I just was broken by it. And one of the first things that I realized that I needed to do was separate myself to, in some degree from the dudes that I'd been running with. Not because they were horrible people, but in that moment, they were all trying to, they were not trying to walk with God. <laughs> And now I'm trying to walk in a completely different direction, okay? And so I had to make some decisions about who I was going to spend my time with. And I needed to actually start spending time, more time with guys that were trying to walk in that same direction. I can remember, and again, I know some of you guys are here in, in recovery, so you, you get this big time, what I'm about to say. I can remember when I'm a freshman in college and everyone is going to the bars, man. That's where everybody hung out. At the time, we had great bars in Kent State, okay? Um, that, if you were going to hang out with people, you had to be going to a bar. And I can remember when I, when I first said to myself, I can't do bars anymore. Um, again, not because every single thing inside a bar is evil, and I wasn't even going so, so far to say about, you know, uh, whether, whether a beer was evil or not. I wasn't even talking like that. I just knew that what I did at bars was not after the heart of God, okay? Are you with me? Amen. I just knew what, and, and I remember people even saying, oh, we can just go and just hang out. You can just go and hang out. I go get in trouble, okay? Again, so this is just me, right? I'm not even gonna try to get into, like, can we do this or not? You can do it, I can't, for a period of time. Because I'm starting out, right? I can remember making decisions, again, with time, to say, oh, we're gonna, we are going to regularly meet to learn the Bible with a group of guys. Like, that was brand new to me, but it was a line. Again, everybody's like, what? What are you doing? Like, let's go here. Let's go here. Okay, let's, let's go do stuff. It's like, no, nah, man, I got to learn this. Where's your lines? Where's your lines? This is what happens. Let's keep going here. Daniel resolved that he wouldn't defile himself. Love that. It says in verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, listen, I fear my lord, the king, 
who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? You would endanger my head with the king. You see what he's saying? He's like, dude, I need you to eat the food. Because if you're not getting plumped up the way the rest of these guys are, he's going to kill me. Okay? Like, seriously, do you see what he just did to Jerusalem? Okay? An honest response. Daniel says this in verse 11. Daniel said to him, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. It says in verse 14, so we listened to him in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. So Daniel resolved that he wasn't going to defile himself, and he gave him an alternative for how to move forward. But here's what else he did, and this is what I don't want to, I don't want to miss this here. See, what Daniel does in trying to be God's man, he's going to be obediently involved, okay? And one thing he does is he's honest with the chief of the eunuchs about why it is he doesn't want to eat the food. He says, I don't want to defile myself. And that might not seem like that big a deal, but wouldn't it have been easy for for Daniel just to say, look, man, we're, uh, we're doing a fasting thing amongst us. Okay, I'm not going to explain it to you, but uh, yeah, we're not doing meat right now. Okay, we've kind of gone on a, on a no meat diet, and uh, that's just not going to be part of what we're doing right now. We're just not into that, right? Like, he could have made up some kind of other excuse to cover for it. And I can, I've done this plenty of times in my life where like, he's embarrassed or ashamed, or he just doesn't want to, he doesn't want to verbally align himself with God. But no, he did. He said, we don't want to defile ourselves with the king's food because of our relationship to the, our God. He's honest about it. You know what else he is, though, is, is he, he does it with humility, which is kind of cool, too. You know, he's, he's, he's a please. Will you test your servants? Will you test us in this way and see, and then you can come back and test your servants, like, he humbles himself before this guy. He's not being a jerk about it. And again, I just, I, just, I just love that because sometimes we get ourselves in trouble, you guys, because God wants to use us, but he can't use us to draw attention to himself if nobody knows that the reason why we're drawing the line is because we're aligned with Jesus. Amen. Like, he, need, he needs us to be forthright about, I'm a Jesus dude. I'm a Jesus follower now. But on the other hand, he doesn't need us to be what, what, what one guy says. One guy said Christians today are the pit bulls of the culture wars. I said, oh, man, I don't think we're supposed to be known as the pit bulls of the culture wars. And what this, what this whole article was about is just how mean-spirited oftentimes we come across as Christians when we draw our lines, how judgmental we become. There was a guy I was thinking about this, uh, again, my freshman year, there was this dude that used to come to our campus. His name was Brother Jed. Okay, this is a long time ago now, so a lot of, I'm sure all of you that have gone to college had somebody like this that came to your school. Brother Jed would come, and he would get in our student plaza, okay? There was this big, huge area that people would hang out at, and they would get food and kind of sit on the steps around it, but Brother Jed would come with a bullhorn, okay? And, and he had a bunch of dudes that were with him, and they would stand in the plaza, and they would scream in people's face, whore, you're a whore. Like, I mean, like getting girls' faces, they would walk by, you're a whore, and you need to repent. And just call them names and just, you know, go off on them. 
And I'm, part of me, it's a little bit embarrassed now that I would sit. It was kind of entertaining, okay, to watch it. It was like nuts. It was just a nut. It was a reality show, right? Totally it would have been on, okay? And I still remember one time because I actually worked for the newspaper. I had a class where I was in the newspaper, and I can still see the picture in my mind because inevitably what would happen is somebody would have had enough of it, okay, which is part of what you waited for. Somebody would have enough, and they would take Brother Jed, and they would throw him in the fountain, that was in the plaza with his briefcase and his Bible and everything else would go in the fountain. I remember there was a picture of him pulling himself out of the fountain and the caption underneath it, he'd been interviewed afterwards and he said, I'm just being persecuted for my faith. And I remember thinking to myself, even as a, as a fairly new Christ follower, it's like, dude, no, you're being persecuted for being an ass. In the name of Jesus, okay? Seriously. Like, that's not what it's supposed to look like. So again, it's, it can't be silence. It can't be that I never align with Jesus. We have to open our mouths and be the Jesus guy unashamedly. But it also can't be in such a way that you wind up getting thrown in the fountain because you're being a jerk. Okay? If you get thrown in the fountain because you've drawn a line, then praise the Lord. But not for being a jerk. And Daniel shows us what it looks like to, to, to pull both of those off. What are the results? What are the results? Let's just, let's finish this, and I'm going to land the plane here. It says, for these four youths, obviously the plan that he gave them worked. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought to the chief of the eunuchs, he brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. All right. So what, what's, what's the conclusion of all this? Let's just pull out a couple more things here before... We stop. And again, think about this in relationship to your own situations that you're in. See, one of, the, one of the conclusions in all this that I get is that God is always the first mover. He's always the first mover. Guys, whatever situation you're in right now, whatever your circumstance is in, God is in that somewhere. Like, he's, he's not just left you completely alone. He is active and moving and he is working out his plan. See, this is what's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar is doing all this stuff thinking that he is going to be able to expand his kingdom. But really what's happening is God is just moving pieces around and allowing things to happen in such a way that he can advance his own. He's advancing his kingdom by allowing Nebuchadnezzar to do what he's doing. Look back in verse 2. Like, don't miss this. This is, this is even worth underlining in your Bible. We said that, that Nebuchadnezzar came and, and, and ransacked the temple, but look in verse 2. It's the Lord who gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord is the one that set it in motion. He moves, then look down in verse 8. Daniel resolves. Daniel's one of the guys that gets taken, and he resolves. He draws a line. And so then in verse 9, God gives Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, okay? And then verse 11, again, then Daniel says, Daniel makes the, the, the plea to the guy, the alternative plan. He stands up, verse 17. 
As for these youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. God is the first mover, but he's looking for men and women who will say, here I am, send me. Amen. Use me. Just, just with a little thing again, just by being faithful, by being faithful in the place that he's, that, that he's placed us. And then he will, he will keep working his plan out through you. I love that. But he's always the one that's moving first. Not only that, but his friends, get this, his friends are encouraged. Daniel's friends are encouraged. See, it's interesting. We meet all four of them, but it's Daniel is the one who winds up coming up with the plan and comes and represents them before the chief of the eunuchs, right? He's one of these other three guys seem to go along with it. Okay, and they, they all benefit by standing uh, and not defiling themselves. Here's what's interesting. Three chapters later, you don't see Daniel anymore, but you still see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now what's happened is there's been an edict, because Nebuchadnezzar is a, is a uh, uh, what's the word when you're all about yourself? He's a narcissist is the one I'm looking for. He is an egomaniac, so he sets up this... He sets up this, this idol that he wants everybody to bow down to several times a day. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, again, remembering what happened back in chapter 1, they're like, yeah, we're not doing that. Like, we're drawing a line. We're not going to be a part of that. And so they're brought before the king, and he challenges them. Nebuchadnezzar says, you better do it, or I'm going to kill you. And they say, you can do whatever you want to us. Kill us if you want. Here's what you need to know. Our God is big enough to stop that from happening. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to you. Like, I love That's made for TV right there, isn't it? That, that is made for TV right there. We're not bowing down to you. But see, Daniel's nowhere to be found. This is what I love about that. One man makes a decision to say, we're, we're not going to do it this way anymore. The other guys are watching. And now they're changed. It's like there's a domino effect. And I just think even again, as I look out over this room and just think, how does God want you taking a stand on some things and just, just waking up every day and being faithful? There's people that are watching you that are going to take encouragement from your life and live differently because they're watching you. Super cool. And then the culture gets challenged because, you see, these guys wind up being the best at what they do. And they get brought into the inner circle. Think about that. Again, Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he's, he's getting over on the system. And all God is doing is taking his people and putting them right up next to the, to the power center to influence the world for his purposes through them. They're the best. See, why not be the best at what, what you do? Why not be the best carpenter? the best teacher, the best businessman. I'm not saying the best in the world, but in your sphere of influence, why not get up every day and as unto the Lord, be the best at what it is that he's created you to do and see how God might use that. I was thinking about this with Eric. Eric and I played in this flag football league in Chicago, which might sound kind of lame, but it wasn't. <laughs> like it was full of like former Division I players, like stud dudes were playing in this football league. And Eric used to be a pro football player overseas and like he's a baller and he invited me to come in and play with these guys and it was kind of an intimidating group like it really was like it was bad boy flag football and Eric who's a total Jesus guy like he's a nerd to these guys right he's he's in like a seminary school to learn about how to teach the Bible these guys are on the track to become millionaires in Chicago and are just you know heading up the ladder and it's like they don't understand Eric but here's the thing Eric's the best player on the team. 
Like he's a great receiver, catches everything, and they don't know what to do with him because he's best. Again, it's just a sport, but like we were there to play a sport, and he was the best. And he got ready for every game, and he grinded it out, and like they had to take him seriously. So then it's like, okay, so you do what with your life? Yeah, I'm a Jesus guy. Well, tell me about that. Like, what the heck is that? Be the best. See how God might want to use that. E, why don't you come up here, actually? And let's just take a, a couple minutes. We wanted to do this this morning since we've got each other. What are you thinking about as you're hearing all this, Eric? Like, what, what would you add to this? conversation everybody up gotta get a mic guys first thing i find funny is that people came up with the daniel fast to lose weight even though it says they got fatter than the other right guys. <laughs> it's a racket it's a racket yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah. don't think i don't think selling a fast formula is what that was about <laughs> first of all the, the, other thing, well, the other thing I find really interesting is, so we've got a philosophy of life that's Ecclesiastes. It's life's about nothing, so let's just be entertained by shows about nothing, and that, okay. that's a major theme. But it seems like, and, and I take great comfort in this, it seems like in the midst of what seems like an onslaught of unbiblical, anti-God, empty sort of living, where the, there's no good and bad or right or wrong, you got equalizer movies. Yeah, people still want it. Where, yeah, yeah. where the good guy is taking to, out the bad guy. They want good to right. win, yeah. And so there's still something that you can't get rid of, that we want justice, we want meaning. And so it's, it's interesting to try to navigate the emptiness and, and the, the anti-God stuff going on but God still created everything. We're made in his image. He, it's his world. He's revealing himself in the heavens that declare his glory and people made his image. Right and wrong is embedded in us. And even though we try to suppress it in unrighteousness, we can't get rid of it. And so that's just a fascinating part of me. And I'm always looking for evidence of truth and righteousness and goodness and God at work, even though you could be really discouraged yeah. in the midst of it. Yeah. So what does it look like? Here's what this is what I wanted to ask you, even as I was thinking about this. We, so we talk about being faithful in whatever circumstances we're placed in. What does it look like to to impact culture right where you're at? And we talk about just doing the little things well. Right. Keep, keep talking about that. What, what, what would that mean to wake up next week after the retreat and go back with a mentality that I want to be God's vessel here in this space? How would you do that? Yeah, I, I'm amazed at what great <laughs> examples. Actually, this set was about Daniel this summer. It was. Uh, it was. It, it, it was sure about, was. It yeah. was about we, we, I got to preach to the high school kids this summer, and it was this, this story of these, these sailors who got shipwrecked, and they ended up on an island of people who were just about serving whatever the tide brought in and worshiping whatever the tide brought in. And they were marooned on an island, and they, they were drawing lines. It was a great example, a great, great creative illustration of all of it. And the challenge was to be a blessing without blending in. Okay. And to, to contribute without compromising. And that was the challenge. But the thing, the thing I, I really think we need to think about is 
where are those lines drawn? So you use the example of, you know what, for me, at that point in my life, going to a bar was a bad idea. Yeah. That was not going to be good for my soul. But you just finished with an illustration of us playing on, we, the team, we, <laughs> we played We spent a on, bunch of time in the well, bar. The, the I we, forgot The team about we that. played on was called the North Branch. <laughs> And it was the bar that sponsored the it team was. we played on and bought our T-shirts and everything. We were sponsored by a bar. We were. And when the games were over, we would go to the bar. Yes, we, we did. We would go to the North Branch and try to talk to the guys about Jesus as fast as we could before they got drunk and it was useless. And, and we would. But we did. I mean, we did some ministry <laughs> in the bar, man. And so, so that's a, I mean, okay. we did some crazy ministry in that bar. There was one time we had been... Yeah. Telling these guys about Jesus, and their, their girlfriends would come, their wives would come after the games, and, and we'd go to North Branch, and we'd try to get somewhere, and most of the time it wasn't getting anywhere, and we were driving to North Branch after one of the games, and Ed said, you know, uh, maybe we should just go home, we're just not getting anywhere with these guys, and, and I think I said, no, oh, let's just go, let's see what happens, let's go for a little bit of the... We walk in the week before Ed had started telling his story to one of the guys. The guy met Ed at the door, and he said, Ed, finish telling me your story. Tell me it was well, really. And, and this is probably, I forgot about this, too. We might as well just go here. So I, I had had a not positive relation on sexual past in high school and before Jesus, okay? And once I came to Christ and I saw that God actually had a plan for, for sexuality, that I was getting cheated by Satan, like we talked about yesterday, right, with the porn thing. Like, I didn't want to be cheated anymore. And so one of the lines that I drew was, I'm not going to have sex until I get married. Like, I really bought into that idea, remember? Wes, Wes, yeah. this, Wes was the guy. And somehow and that came you up. You were like an alien to him. Yeah, I was. Yeah, That's I was an alien was. to he myself. Are yeah. you from another planet? Yeah. Because it had been years. But right? somehow it came up, and I remember even thinking, do I tell him the truth about why I'm, I'm not having sex? Like, this is one of those moments. It's like, okay, God, I'm a Jesus guy, man, and I think there's a better way to do this, okay? And, yeah, and we had these dudes that are like, what? So, yeah. like, we're out playing, and guys will come back to the sideline and be like, wait a minute, so you haven't had sex since when? <laughs> Like, this literally happened. What was that quarterback's name, right? Yeah. He's like, really? Yeah. Like, that's why? What, what, yeah. what? Tell me about that. He was right? Luther Vandross's bodyguard. It was yeah, hilarious. this dude was but, Luther Vandross's bodyguard. <laughs> okay. But, but, but so he walks into the bar, yeah. and, the guy, and Wes says, hey, finish telling me your story. I sit down with the, the whole rest of the team and the girlfriends and their wives, and Desmond, who was an amazing football player, and he talked smack like nobody I'd ever seen. And he was, so, he was so good at profanity that... That he was one of those guys who could get it, not even just between words, but like in between syllables of words. You yeah. know those guys? I mean, amazing, just, amazing. He was, he was an artist with, with the profanity. And, and he would talk smack for people. He would talk smack, like, you can't stop me. We played basketball with him, too. And Ed was an amazing basketball player. And Desmond was not as good as Ed. So he would just talk smack for Ed. He would say, oh, you can't stop him. Oh, he made a fool of you. And, and he would, but Desmond was crazy. He's the last guy you'd think would be interested in talking about Jesus. I sit down with the guys, and one of them says, so you teach at a Christian college? And I said, yeah. And he said, you, you guys have a rule you can't dance there, huh? And I said, yeah, we do. And I said, but watch this. And I put a little, busted a little dance move for him. But I said, but you know, it's unfortunate. That's all people seem to know about it. Let me tell you about what we're about. And I just laid out the gospel for yeah. the whole team in the bar. And the whole time I'm talking, Desmond's over here going like this. 
And I see him out of the corner of my eye. And when, when I was sort of finished, he reaches over and he says, you teach theology? And I said, yeah. He said, I think that's great. And I said, he, I said you do? And he said, yeah. And he said, I think it's good you people have principles you live by, too. And I said, I'm impressed you think that, Desmond. And he said, he said, hey, can I ask you some questions? And I said, yeah. He said, you know, I got a typical old black grandma who's praying I'll get right with God all the time. And yeah. so maybe I should ask you some questions. And he asked me questions for 40 minutes. And he stopped me finally and he said, wouldn't it be something, Eric, if the only reason I'm playing in this league mm. is so I can get some questions answered to, to my questions in life right here tonight? And I said, Desmond, I think that's how God works. And he said, me too. It was unbelievable. It, it, it went on all night. And this is all in a bar, yeah. right? So, so here's my big question, and, and it's not even super clear and explicit why yeah. those guys drew the lines where they did. It's not. So sometimes the lines will be in different places for different people. At different based, times. Based on where they are, based yeah. on what their temptations are, because they know their weaknesses. And so we need to have some freedom for us to have different lines and yeah. cheer each other on, trusting God's leading us to know what that is. Right on. Some are clear, right? Yeah. Some are just sin or not sin. Yeah. But other times... It's it, because it, what a great example at that time in your life, bars were off the table. Yeah. But when, especially when we were with the other, that became a great ministry yeah, context. Changed. Yeah. So it's just interesting how in different contexts, different times in our lives, there are going to have to be different lives. But, in, but the point is, even as you're talking about this, Eric, and we haven't thought about this in a while, but they knew we were Jesus guys. So we didn't keep that quiet from them. We could have. Yeah. We didn't keep that quiet from them. We, we weren't jerks about it. We were just trying to be normal guys about it. Right. We didn't feel like we had to fix them as yeah. I think back about it. Right. And again, I, sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we feel like a responsibility to try to fix somebody. It's like God's not trying to get me to fix him. He just wants me to tell him how how he's fixed me and how I'm still not fixed in so many ways. I just need to be a normal dude. Right. But be able to talk about Jesus as though he's real to me. And then be good at what you do. Like, it doesn't do any good to be showing up late for work or, like, just be, again, just be like everybody else. Like, ah, I'm just kind of going through the motions. It's like, no, God's given me a purpose to be here. That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. And everybody can do that. That's right. Everybody can do that. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's stop just because of what time it is, and, and we'll pick this up again tomorrow. E, you want to pray for us? Yeah. Pray us out of here? Yeah. Good job, fellas. A lot, lot to think about, a lot so to good. talk about. You guys keep talking. Father, I'm so grateful for the Spirit's knowledge and power and ability to know exactly where each of us needs to go in our walk with you, in our relationship with you. And Lord, I'm grateful that he's able to bring the conviction and the comfort and the encouragement and the enlightenment that we need from your word. And Lord, we are making progress this weekend, I can tell, and I'm mm -hmm. grateful. Mm -hmm. And Lord, I'm thankful for these guys. What an encouragement to be here with them this weekend and see yeah. how locked in and eager to learn and grow, become more like Jesus they are. Lord, for the guys who stood this morning, I pray they wouldn't believe any lies that the, the devil's trying to tell them, mm -hmm. uh, make them feel silly or whatever it is, Lord. Yeah. Lord, that following you is the most important thing in life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would all be encouraged and emboldened to walk with you more faithfully, more dependently, more joyfully, more worshipfully every day. Mm -hmm. Lord, thank you for the example we have of these these men yeah. in a foreign country that was opposed to them and their ways, but they learned to be a blessing without blending in. So, Lord, give us wisdom in that. We need wisdom in a culture that is crazy in so many ways and opposed to you in so many ways. But we know this is your world, 
and you're taking it back like we saw this morning. We're part of that takeover, and we're grateful, Lord. So help us to do it, to speak the truth in love, to be guided by the Spirit, to cheer each other on, and be the team you called us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.